the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. Audio drama, poetry, fiction. You're listening to the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. Welcome to the third in our series of podcasts about the art and science behind the creation of audio drama. In this edition, we'll look at sound design and music with some skilled practitioners in these areas. Let's start by getting our guests to introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Headley Knights. I'm a sound engineer from London, and I'm the producer of We Fix Space Junk, a sci-fi sitcom audio drama. Hello, I'm Richard Campbell. I run a recording studio where I mainly do music, but I've had a few radio plays, ADR sessions, and things like that in over the years. However, Red Valley's the first one I've been properly involved with and sound designed. Hello, this is Daniel French of Fishbonius Sound Design. I have done the sound design for... Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished, Generation Z of Outlaws and Lawmen, Corporate Punishment, Monday through Friday at the Smith's Residence, Fort Locke, Jop's Folly, and many other stories that are involved in the Chronosphere Fiction Podcast. Hi, my name is John Bartman. I'm a South African musician and audio producer. For the past, say, <laughs> 20 years now, I've been involved in audio production, music production, across a variety of platforms for a variety of media, including film, TV, radio, podcast, and most recently I've stumbled on the weird and wonderful world of audio drama. My name's Chris Gregory, Um, I'm the founder and audio engineer, sound designer, soundscape maker for alternative stories and fake realities. We'll kick off our discussion by looking at sound design. Could you tell us how you got into sound design for audio drama? John and Alan, the writer and director on Red Valley, are good friends of mine. I was initially on board to do the music for the series, but after they came to the studio for a first crack at getting some dialogue recorded, I was so impressed with the quality of the writing that I offered to do the editing and everything as well. I got into sound design really um, from music production. I've I've recorded um, songs and albums for bands that I've been in. So I knew my way around a digital audio workstation. And um, when I decided to get into audio drama, um, it seemed the best thing to start using software that I'd used um, for making music, um, which is why I use uh, almost exclusively GarageBand. Well, I started out as a guitar player in the 80s and early 90s that uh, got into recording myself using various techniques with cassette decks and reel-to-reel tape machines, manipulating those sounds. Time marched on as I experimented, and about four or so years ago, I started listening to podcasts, and I heard a couple of them that made me think to myself, hey, I can do that, and it sounds pretty fun. Coincidentally, at the same time, my son, Jeremiah French, had started writing Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished, and therefore gave me the idea to create Chronosphere Fiction and do stories with sound design. 
Uh, by this time, I had already been involved in recording several bands, and I had worked for Dominic Camardella at Santa Barbara Sound Design, recording bands like Robert Cray there. I got to work in television for TBS, doing some sound design, some sound effects, etc. there. I got to do some work for HBO. I got to do work for Planet Earth. So I was getting a good bit of experience under my belt. And I had started my collection of home gear in order to do these things in my studio instead of borrowing somebody else's. So the time was right. It was time to start learning and making mistakes. I first was interested in sound from a very young age. When my kind of early teens, I was playing around with sound effects and recording myself and my friends. Uh, And then around mid-teens, I started getting into music and recording music for friends, for bands, bands I was in, recording music. I went to college and then uni studying music technology. And while doing so, I realized there was a lot more to sound than just music. And then on leaving uni, I ended up getting work as a TV sound engineer. So doing sound for live live sports, for big TV channels, uh, UK TV channels like the BBC, ITV, Sky, BT Sports. And my fiance, Beth Crane, uh, is a writer and she's she's been writing for a very very long time and we decided to do a project together and that's how i first got into audio drama sound design when kilner accepted the job of smuggling escaped heiress samantha trap across the galaxy she expected the job to be over and done with quickly but now they're stuck with each other and they have a job to do think of automnicon as a sort of student loan company You take a loan from them, and then they own you until you've paid it off with interest. So all I have to do is pay off my debt? Fine, I can do that. How much do I owe? 900,027 credits. And counting. You're stuck here, with me, to work it off. We Fix Space Junk is a sci-fi sitcom from Battlebird Productions, featuring Travelling by Cryo. Don't worry if you feel like you're drowning. That's perfectly normal. Wait, what? Aliens from across the galaxy. Greetings, visitors. Stop, popcorn! Hello, Your Excellency. AIs. Dad, how do I do air? You're already doing it automatically. Calm down. And, of course, thrilling and exciting missions in outer space. Hello, valued employees. Here are the details for your next exciting mission. You will be repairing a device redacted in or at the location redacted we fix space junk is available on apple podcasts google play spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts how did you adapt your existing sound design skills to the creation of audio drama I don't really think I had any specific sound design skills to adapt. Uh, The only time I'd really done anything much like it was at uni more than 15 years ago. But I guess knowing my way around logic was a big help. The jump from recording music and uh, sound effects for television, etc. into audio drama pretty much just involved writing and having stories to do. I don't consider myself much of a writer. I'm more of an improv guy. So I would basically throw ideas at the people I knew that could write like my son, Jeremiah French, the great Blake Benlin. And then, of course, on the podcast itself, I invited people to send me their scripts. It isn't as different as you might think, making music and making audio drama. 
you think of each of the voices um, of your actors as a different instrument, the trick is that you're making the best sounding combination of those voices. Uh, You're panning them left and right. You're adding reverb, echo to make them sound further away, just as you would with um, instruments in the mix of a song. Uh, A large part of the adaptation uh, for from doing sound design before is that there's a lot more story to tell in the sound of an audio drama because it is purely sound so there's a lot of bits uh, you have to focus much more on and like creating this scene uh, setting like really setting the right tone for exactly what's going on where everyone is making sure it sounds like everyone is where they are supposed to be um also things like getting levels right uh making sure everything's balanced and more importantly, making it sound like people aren't just in a living room if they're supposed to be somewhere else. With like film for video, usually people are in the situations uh, that they're supposed to be in. Fight. They'll rejoice at the opportunity. This is our destiny. You're here. You know I'll do everything I can to help. It's my cause also. I know. Here we are, the jail. And what about the sheriff? One of ours? No, unfortunately. He's shall we say, the virtuous type wouldn't have been safe to approach him with an offer. But he should be out. I arranged for a false 911 call to draw him away. Perhaps the consul would appreciate the gift of Samantha's head. What do you think, George? The decision is yours, sir. What the? What the hell is this? Hello, sir. Where are they? Where have they gone? I don't know. What happened here? The sheriff snuck up on me, forced me into this cell. The sheriff? Schumacher. Where did they go, soldier? Where did they go? He got them out. Didn't say where he was taking them. I thought you would have been here a bit sooner. When did they? Just a few minutes ago. Lieutenant, they must be pursued. Have all the buildings searched and send out a few parties of troops in every direction. I want them found. Yes, sir. Right away. Captain, I don't know. I'll deal with you later. For now, Leanne. Yes, sir? You failed. You failed the lifeguard and you failed me. Again. You let them get away. Guess I did. Weren't you armed? Yeah, the sheriff snuck up on me. Had a gun to my head. And? You're a deadite. You'd have survived. What do you have to say for yourself? Didn't want a big hole in my head. That simple. You didn't, huh? Sir, do you... Consider that your dishonorable discharge. What are the most common pitfalls for newbie sound designers to fall into? Oh, there are a myriad of pitfalls and bad habits to fall into when you start. One is overdoing it with your plugins and so forth that you use to color your sound, which I still do. I tend to like to go heavy on the compression, and I've been criticized for that. But, you know, you like what you like, and you do what you do. I would say a big one when you're first starting out is being in a hurry. Try to give yourself some time. Make some mistakes. Mess around with a little bit. And then don't fall so much in love with it that you're taking forever to do one episode. Making your mix too loud or too quiet. uh, Falling into both of those. One thing that um, is a pet hate of mine is when characters are off mic... So, um, you know, we're supposed to hear people having a conversation uh, a little way away from the main action. You've got to be able to hear that. And it's a bugbear of mine when 
when you really can't or you have to turn it up so loud to hear it that when the main character speaks again you burst your eardrums so i think you've got to you've got to kind of moderate the sound and make it uh, relatively even while still suggesting someone's further away or someone's off in to the left or the right um so that's pitfall and, and a skill that you have to develop really some of the biggest mistakes uh one of the biggest ones is a really simple one and that is leaving gaps between every line uh, people don't really talk like that they tend to talk over each other uh you generally know what someone has said before they finished saying it so there tends to be quite tight hi how are you doing i'm all right how are you i'm great i'm great uh, what have you been doing i've been doing this Whereas a lot of newbie sound designers you hear, hi, how are you? I'm okay, thanks. What are you up to? I've been doing this. How could you do that? I can't believe that. Especially if people are angry with each other and they're saying, I've just done this. How could you do that? Well, you did this. And it's like, you, just, you can cut those up. Especially considering the actors don't know the situation you're supposed to be in. Uh, that you know they don't know how it's going to sound in the end so leaving their gaps in and their pauses in where they put them is not necessarily appropriate um, and no one's going to be annoyed with you for cutting it down a bit sometimes you need to let a line breathe so sometimes you do need a little bit of a gap after a joke or after something particularly powerful uh, just to let that sink in but um a lot of the time it could be much much shorter i think the, the most common thing we often say um for for a show is like that 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 could that could have been shorter by by a minute by two minutes <laughs> um without cutting out any content just really squeezing up those lines if there are common pitfalls for newbies then i assume i've probably fallen into most of them myself but i guess my first instinct for what to avoid was overdoing it seems like it'd be easy to panic and think you've got to go absolutely nuts and sound design the head out of everything but I just sort of figured as long as the story was clear, you've probably done enough. And the second pitfall is probably making everyone sound like they're in the same space. Uh, a lot of the time people would just have a really bassy mic and a really not bassy mic. And it's like, if you can't make the worst mic sound good, you're going to have to make all your good mics sound kind of like the worst, if that makes sense. People will be much more forgiving of a consistent lower quality than they will be of sudden changes between really good and not so good also making sure you're gating out anything that is is background noise um it's always nice to have a room tone but if it's not going to be consistent get rid of all of it put in some new fake room tone it's going to sound much better Is there any accessible training newbie sound designers should check out There is no near as much training available for audio drama as there is for every other type of audio um i would recommend in terms of learning an eq learning a compressor learning a gate learning what they're for is looking at music uh, like home studio recording tips on youtube because there are so so many of those and trying to apply that to drama afterwards i know there are some specific drama ones such as um i know the people from wolf 359 they have uh, a course on how to make audio drama. I know Sarah Werner also does a lot on how to make audio drama. There are lots of Facebook groups that are very helpful, uh, that can be very helpful. I keep on meaning to do one myself, but uh, <laughs> it turns out there are, there are not enough hours in the day. Well, my first bit of advice here would be to get into a class at a community college or something like that 
where you are given projects and you have to do them. And it's stuff that you may not have necessarily chosen to do yourself. This would force you to learn techniques and possibilities of the ways that you can use the tools that are available to you. What I did do was sit with a professional music producer uh, a few years ago when I was when I was doing music and learned more in half an hour than I had in five years of um, messing around on my own, really. So I would say if you have the opportunity, sit down with someone who really knows their way around uh, the equipment and the software, uh, and you will learn so much. And generally, people that have those skills are very, very happy to to share them and show you what they do because sometimes it can be quite a lonely field so when someone takes an interest actually it's um it's quite nice to <laughs> brag about what it is you do so um yeah in my experience uh, people will be only only too happy to share those skills with you i've got no idea about courses or anything but as far as accessible training you can't really beat google and youtube people out there are so generous these days with help and tutorials on everything you'll always be able to find help for whatever thing you're struggling with um so i think just getting stuck in and getting on with it and just making something is the best way to learn how to do it oh christ watch yourself i know what i'm doing i need you to keep him still how the hell is he even conscious enough to do this we pulled him out too soon he is awakening exactly as we planned yeah this is just what i had planned dr wood ben lift his arm i think it's trapped sure Bryony, could you mute those alarms please stuck it's, it's like he's sitting on it <laughs> Thank you, Ben. His arm, he's straining. Got it. Oh. Oh. What the hell? No. What did you oh, do? It's, oh. it's... His arm just came off in Ben's hand. Should newcomers to sound design for audio drama be striving for a totally authentic and natural sound? Or should clarity of the dialogue be the main goal? For me, clarity of the dialogue is definitely the main goal. I'm one of those people, when I'm listening to something, if there's too many noises going on, I'm going to miss something I wanted to hear somebody say. So when I'm doing sound design for audio drama and audio fiction, I like to be very creative with my sound effects and my background noises, background music, etc., etc. But when I listen back to it, I want to hear every word that every character says. I take my sound effects seriously enough, but they definitely play second fiddle, uh, keeping in mind that. I've always looked at Chronosphere Fiction as the cheesy comic book of audio drama and audio fiction, which definitely helps in uh, keeping away nervousness and worries. We are definitely here to have fun. And, you know, if we're not having fun, heck, I probably don't want to do it. That's a big question. I know my personal stance, and obviously it's subjective, but for me, always clarity comes first. Story is the most important. I'm not generally a fan of naturalism in theatre, so I tend to think in those terms with audio as well. Uh, your audience know it's not real, so just get on with telling the story the best way you can. If being really natural makes it harder to follow, then don't be natural. I'd say it depends on the style. Um, there are lots of different styles of audio drama. There's lots of different ways people approach this. Some people go for very, very naturalistic. Some people go for uh, a lot less so. Um, we Fix Space Junk, as an example, has a little bit of a cartoony vibe to it, I, I describe it as. Um we can be a little bit over the top with things and that kind of works because it's a comedy. Um, so we can be a little a little brighter, a little bolder, but I do try to keep it as natural as possible. 
making sure you can be heard over the background is also very is obviously very important and um, that is one thing people will complain about is if they can't hear voices over the background but also people speaking directly into a mic are going to sound clearer than in real life so i'd say i'd say try try for natural but um it's not it's not the end of the world if you need to be a bit more clear and obvious but you know the more natural it is the more immersive it's going to be the more people are going to feel like they're in the world if that's a thing you want you want to be striving for that things like the orphans it's very cinematic it's very you're in the world with them um for other shows uh like welcome to night vale you're not necessarily in the world there you're very much in your room listening to a radio broadcast so depends on the style of your show Let's talk about dialogue. Can we start by talking about the topic of panning dialogue? Let's talk about dialogue. Yes, I love panning and playing with the stereo field. Obviously, for most conversations between two people, I'm going to put one person a little bit to the left and one person a little bit to the right. Say at about 1 o'clock and 11 o'clock on your panning dials. If there are more than two characters, I try to imagine where they are standing while they're talking and set my panning dials accordingly. Sometimes I want to imagine them walking around each other, walking around the room, or maybe even the camera is circling them, in which case I would use a plugin that does that. I have uh, one called Mondo Mod, another called Brower Motion that you can simply set the speed and the motion it's going to make without having to go into all kinds of auto panning and automation. So that's very helpful. Haha, panning. Um, this is a contentious subject. Um, uh, to be honest, I have always generally favored mono vocal stereo effects because uh, human beings are mono. We have our mouths are mono. We can only create one sound at a time. And... When someone's talking, you look at them. So if someone's over to your left, you look at them, and then you're hearing them with both ears at the same time. People seem to think that one person will stand all the way over to the left and one person will stand all the way over to the right, and that, that will give you clarity. But, um, but that, that never happens. You look at people. You don't just... You, you don't ju- if you, There's two people. You don't stare in the middle of the two of them. You look at the one who's talking. So I find panning, uh, harsh panning and like performing around a stereo mic is, is not very not very useful. Um, I think it's actually quite, quite counterintuitive and it makes the edit extremely difficult. I, I do pan sometimes. I, I think panning I use as a special effect mostly. If someone's coming in from outside or you're trying to show that someone's talking to someone who's further away. Sometimes if there's two voices that are quite similar, I might ever so slightly inch one left and one right um, just to give them a tiny bit of space. But generally speaking, keep everything pretty mono. If you see a film in the cinema... Every single film you've ever seen, the voices are mono, 90, 99% of the time. Um, in the cinema, you actually have a left, center, and right speaker. The center speaker is just for dialogue, and the left and right are for music and sound effects. They will not pan the vocals. Lots of schools of thought about how much you should do that, because as you pan a sound to the left or the right, you lose um, some of the timbre of that sound and you lose some of the volume in the centre of the field. Um, so my rule is pan a little, um, see how that sounds, and then pan a little more, and just experiment until it sounds reasonably natural. You don't want to put one character 
really, really far to the left and one really far to the right, because that's just going to sound really odd. Um, I think the, another question is when there's three in a conversation, where do you pan the third? Do you have one down the middle and one to the left, one to the right? Um, you just have to experiment and, and, and do what sounds good for you, really. Another really important thing about separating actors' voices that you can do even before you start to get technical and use your kit is to listen to the actors. And if two actors are going to be playing characters that talk a lot or are involved in a lot of dialogue, you want to be choosing actors that have different voices because you can do all the panning in the world and it will be difficult for your listeners to tell the difference between the two characters if their voices are very very similar so that's something you need to be doing at the audition stage um, there's very little you can do without making it sound totally unnatural once you've recorded those voices and they sound too similar i usually pan the dialogue in red valley again just to help separate the voices and make it clearer who's speaking i felt like it helped to put you in the space with the characters a bit more as well so i generally just built a loose picture of the scene in my head and then panned according to that usually that was just um, someone on the left, someone on the right. Although, obviously, not hard left or hard right, unless you want a pretty extreme effect, because that's quite uncomfortable to listen to on headphones when you have something entirely left or entirely right. In terms of panning tips, I'd say see, never pan a vocal more than like 60, 60 each way. Usually, often in uh, DAWs, panning will be done on a wheel, um, unlike this is also done on mixers. And they don't go all the way around. They are like a crescent. And that's on purpose. So hard left is all the way almost pointing downwards, but not quite. And hard right is almost pointing downwards. The reason this is, is because um, when you're actually flat with that knob, that is supposed to be as far as you can go without it sounding unnatural. That was intentionally done. Important. Sometimes you do go hard for special effects. Um, if, you're, if you've got music, for example, you'd want the left channel to be panned all the way left and the right channel to be all the way right so that you get a full spread of the original mix. But generally that halfway point, which is usually about 60 or minus 60, um, you don't really want to go much further than that. Because that, at that point as well, you're going to hear nothing in the other ear and that never happens. If you're in a room and someone is all the way on your left, you are going to hear them with your right ear. Um, it's going to be bouncing around the room and hitting you so you're very very rarely ever going to want something to be hard unless it's a special effect my mother barricaded the door with the little furniture that we had she forbade me to go outside sea spirits came knocking at the door and kelpies tempted me to go outside with promises of freedom and plenty but I resisted all then the storm came the wind reached inside and a hand existing out of a cloudy substance took me and carried me towards the sea. A wave pulled me into the foamy water. Hundreds of water elves surrounded me. They clapped in their hands as water filled my lungs. I could see my mother standing on the shore, holding the hands of two crying birds. Everything went black. I knew what was going to happen. I knew that I was going to sink to the bottom of the sea and remain there. Forever. No, feel my Sinking to the bottom of the ocean. 
Another contentious subject is that of distance within the audio field. How do you create the impression of a character being further away or nearer? Is this just achieved by varying the volume? Or are there other tricks you can use? Distance within the stereo field, um, yes. Actors very, very frequently, um, especially the stage actors, um, or they're used to performing live, they'll be like, oh, should I go further away from the mic to sound like I'm further away? Make sure they don't do that because that is, it's a big no-no. Every time you double your distance from the microphone, you are doubling the volume of the room. So the room reverb, the room echo, all your extraneous noise, like your lawnmower next door or your air conditioning. Every, it's, it's the root means squared if you want to get mathematical about it. Every doubling of distance is a it's a halving of volume so to move the volume up again you're then moving everything else up with it so don't get people to go further away from the mic because it would just sound like they're in a room unless you're supposed to unless you're sitting in a living room and you want some to sound like the other side of the living room then yeah maybe that is what you want to do but most likely if you're say in a field or something and then someone leans off the mic you're going to hear an, an echoey room that kind of sounds like this oh yeah, this is a lovely field we're in. And it's not going to be believable. So um, so obviously the first thing for making someone sound far away is make them quieter. Um, that's kind of the obvious thing. You also tend to start losing high end and uh, and like kind of treble. So you can sometimes do that, muffle the voice slightly um, with a low pass filter or just a bit of high end EQ, cut that down um, to make someone sound a bit further away. Um, there is also a thing called the proximity effect where you, when you get very close to a person or to a microphone especially, um, you get a bit of a boost in the bass region. Um, so you can take out a little bit of the bass and a lot of the treble, um, and that will make someone sound further away. And how we were saying with reverb, and uh, like not getting off the mic, when you get further away from someone, you do hear a higher percentage of reverb. So if you're using a reverb in a scene, so say they're in like a, a church or something, you've got a nice, lush, big echo. When you turn them down, you want to make sure you're turning up their reverb as well. Um, so they sound like they're more in the room, far away, and their voice and the echo from their voice are reaching you at kind of the same time. Sometimes that's where panning will come in. When I say I use panning as a special effect, I might use that for people coming in, into a scene. And someone's like, far away, hey, what are you doing over there? And then they'll be, they'll rep their response will be a bit quieter, a bit more muffled, and with more reverb. Because, of course, you don't want to just make them really quiet because people aren't going to be able to hear it very well. Um, so you can do that instead of making them especially quiet, add some reverb, EQ them off a, a little bit. Um, and then if you can, if you have automation in your DAW like Pro Tools or Reaper, you can automate that reverb to go down to the normal level when they get close. 
and you can automate that EQ to come off so their normal EQ by the time they, they reach you and automate the pan so that they come from, say, off to the right um, back to centre. There are kind of old-fashioned rules of you should enter from the left and exit to the right. I don't always use that. Um, uh, I generally try and picture a, a room in my head and how that would work logically so often people will leave in the same direction as they come. So, like, um, maybe if someone's coming to the scene for the first time, I might bring them on from the left and then if they leave back to go to where they came from, I'll pan them off to the left again when they leave. For panning a distance, I actually used a plugin called Panagement. Uh, it tries to position things using filters to simulate air absorption over distance, proximity effects, and all that kind of thing. But I found it really handy and easy to use, so I just whacked it on most of my channels and used that to put things wherever I needed them. It's just got a really simple semicircle where you put a little blob wherever you want it, and it tries to make it sound like it's coming from there. It's good. Distance in the audio field, I've already talked a bit about um, sounds conversations that are so quiet that you can't possibly hear them so you've got to you've got to really get that balance right um there are little tricks you can use so if for for indoor dialogue uh you can add a touch of uh reverb to characters nearby to suggest they're in a room and the sounds bouncing off the walls and for those further away you just add a little bit more reverb so it sounds further away and there's more of that echo there's little tricks you can use obviously you have volume to play with but as i say you don't want to lose volume too much so that listeners can't uh, can't actually hear the dialogue and again go back to that um that tip of the first your first and most important priority is to make your dialogue easily easy to hear for your listeners when i'm varying the volume for distance i tend to use fades more than automation. This is because the character is usually walking towards or away from the microphone. Another good trick is uh, using an equalizer directly onto the stem that you're working on. Say if somebody has already started talking, but they're behind a door that they haven't opened yet, you can equalize that with a low-pass filter that takes out the highs, and it muffles it a little bit like they're behind the door, and then lift that off as the door opens. What's your take on the use of sound effects within a drama? Should you try to recreate each and every sound a listener might expect to hear? Or just pick out the ones that have an influence on the story? How many effects you put in is personal preference, really, as well as how much time you've got and how much time you can be bothered. But obviously things that are integral to the story do have to be there. But then this is also an interesting area that I've occasionally pushed back and forth with a bit with our writer. Um, I might just be lazy, but my feeling is that sometimes a sound just can't tell you exactly what's happening um, unless it's a really, really obvious and identifiable sound. So if the plot absolutely hangs on a particular thing being put across to the listener, then unless that sound is totally identifiable, then put it in dialogue as well because not everyone's going to hear every single sound. They're not always listening in a great environment. Often they're on the train or something like that. They're not going to catch every little detail. I think it's going to be much more immersive the more sounds you have. Make sure that they're they're not too loud and they're not getting in the way and they're not confusing because sometimes it could be like, oh, this person was like tapping on the table or something. So that's what that tapping noise is. But if no one ever mentions that they're tapping on the table, people are not going to know what that means. So that's going to be distracting. But, you know, if, if they're in a cafe... I will have like a coffee machine in the background. I'll have maybe someone grinding the the coffee beans 
um, someone clinking some plates, um, have someone sipping from a cup over light panned off one side. I'll have like the traffic outside through glass. So I might have some traffic sound and then scoop out all of the top end. I think you, it is good to have extra sounds in there that wouldn't necessarily be plot dependent as long as they aren't actively distracting. Because the more you put in, the more real it's going to sound, the more present people are going to feel. But yeah, I will take out anything, even if it's in a script. Sometimes I'll read scripts and they say, oh, and this person is kicking a football as their chat or something. And it's like, but they never mention that they're kicking a football. So people are just hearing a thud sound and, and they don't know what it is. So I'd suggest either taking that out or putting in a line saying, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just having a kick about. Oh, all right. And then carry on. I mean, soccer ball. Sorry, <laughs> I should probably say soccer ball for the inter international listeners, for the non-English listeners. I do a little bit of both. I look at my script and I've already put in all my dialogue together. I'm about to go through and do sound effects. And I have a list that I've probably already marked in my DAW of the sound effects that I consider important to the story that have to be there. I do all of those. And then I go back through, give it a listen, and anything that I catch that I want to add to bring the listener more into the story and make them feel like the place is real, that's when I do that. Sound effects are important to create that sense of place and uh, of atmosphere. Um, but again, you don't want to use so many that it starts to compromise your dialogue. You know, sometimes in real life, if you're walking on a beach, the sound of the waves can be so loud that you can't hear a person next to you talking. Now, clearly, that's not going to work um, in an audio drama. So you've got to suggest rather than ram it down their throats and go for total authenticity on things like that. Never compromise the dialogue. I keep saying that. It's, um, it's just the most important thing, really. I think also with sound effects, you're, you're not trying to recreate every sound that you might hear um, in a particular situation. You're doing enough to suggest. Um, you're, you're never making it your goal to completely accurately recreate a woodland or you know, the sounds you might hear on a seashore or the sounds you might hear in a church or a concert hall. You're suggesting those sounds. My suggestion would be probably limit your number of effects channels within a recording uh, to three or four. Call them effects channel one, effects channel two, effects channel three. And um, if you've got more than three things going on at the same time, then that's probably too many. Ship's log. Things are not going to plan. We seem to be under attack, and I'm not sure we'll be able to deliver the trap package successfully. There are reports from the surface that there are... She's regaining consciousness. Oh, that's all I need. I was hoping she'd be asleep till we got there. Prepare starboard cannons. Prepare starboard shields. Incoming fire. We Fix Space Junk by Beth Crane. Episode 2, Flight of the Submarine. Are there instructions a sound designer ought to be giving to actors before they start recording? Things that a sound designer may want to um, look at before the recording starts are locations within the script. So what you don't want as a sound designer is, is to be given a bunch of dialogue and then told to make it sound like that was in a church or on a seashore. Ideally, you would, you would say things to the actors um, to 
to get them to record things in different ways. So if, for example, the, the script calls for a close mic whisper, um, it's no good the, the actor standing three feet away from the microphone and shouting. They need to be told to come, come up close to the microphone. And that's a technique that we use a lot for kind of off-mic conversations or you know conversations that aren't part of the main dialogue. A character may intimate something to the to the audience break that fourth wall as we would say in television and um, close mic whisper technique is something that can be really um, really valuable i definitely like to try to have my actors read through the script again before recording and get the feel of really being there with what's supposed to be happening Probably the most obvious tip I can think of is to physicalize what your character is doing. So if they've been running, then get a bit out of breath. Or if they're reaching into their pocket while they talk, then do that while you perform. Because it's amazing how much just that movement goes into the voice. Um, but as with everything, always keep the actor comfortable and don't just throw too much at them. If it's going to confuse them, don't get them doing anything that makes them uncomfortable. Um, it's just sometimes actors tend to think because it's just audio, they don't have to move but just, just a bit of actually performing the character does just make the voice so much more convincing and believable. Oh, I'm also generally always a fan of eating while talking. Uh, instant comedy. In terms of working with the actors, I usually am in contact with one or two of the actors at any given time. Um, usually Beth. In, in terms of Weefix Space Junk, it would be Beth who plays Kilner and then one other actor. Um, most of the cast only met for the first time when we did a live show, uh, mainly just because it's very hard to get everyone's schedules to line up and we do not, we, we do not have a very big house, so um, it would be hard to fit lots of people in. And the more people you have in a room, the more bleed you're going to get on the mics and probably the lower quality uh, sound you're going to get. So I generally do have everyone uh, separate. Um, but yeah, in things, things I would say to the actors, um, always checking their mic technique, making sure they're nice and close to the mic, no further than a, a foot away from the mic, definitely. Maybe maybe a fist distance between the mic and the pop shield and a fist distance between the pop shield and the mouth. If you're in a lovely, beautifully sound-treated studio, you can get a bit further away. In a domestic setting, um, nice and close up. Even uh, somewhere between four and ten inches, I guess, depending on the mic uh, and depending on the person uh, speaking. If someone's very sibilant and they're hissing a lot, um, maybe tell them to aim slightly off to one side of the mic or rotate the mic so they're talking to it from a slight angle. If they're popping a lot and doing lots of plosives, I've got a pop shield on. Uh, so, uh, but um, maybe, again, slightly off to the side of the mic. Um, not Like I said before, not leaning away from the mic if they're going to be loud. A lot of people do that as well. Like, oh, I'm going to shout, so I'll, I'll lean back. It's like, no, we, we can just, if it clips, we'll take it again and I'll turn the mic down this side. And that, that way we're not going to add extra extraneous room reverb and room sound that we don't want there. So that's a big thing, is teaching people the kind of correct mic technique, or at least the mic technique that is going to best suit your production style. In some cases, they can do things like turn away from the mic or go further from the mic, but be careful because when they go further, a side effect will be that you get more room as well. So a little movement goes a long way, especially with turning, with going off axis on the mic. That makes a huge difference to the sound. Um, so generally also get them not to turn around too much if they're not supposed to be. Um, but we recorded most of ours in pretty dead booths at the studio, so we were free to do a fair bit of that in places. 
but also it's a whole skill for actors to work on and master over years as well anyway. So don't try and overload anyone with getting them to do that. Personally, I'd much rather have less movement and then try and create it later in editing than have too much baked in movement that you're stuck with if it ends up not working in context. A big thing also to tell actors is think about the scene because uh, I'm a, I also act as director. If you have a separate director, they may want to do this. If they're going to be outside, they're going to want to talk louder because even though they can't hear it yet, you're going to put sound effects on of being outdoors and people speak louder when they're outdoors. It's just naturally. There's no room to amplify you. You're not, they're not hearing your voice plus your voice bouncing off of every surface. They're hearing only the original sound. So you're going to have to speak up a bit. So you might be like, oh, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's actually another thing I like to speak to the actors about is talking a bit like this. So they're saying, oh yeah, um, yeah, I'll be over there in a minute. Um, because sometimes you will get people saying, oh yeah, it's really lovely being outside. Uh, it's a lovely warm breeze and then it just doesn't sound real. It sounds like they're sitting down in a room in front of a mic it doesn't sound like they're up and walking about we we actually do a lot of sitting down recording which is not very common um most people will stand up uh, we do get people to stand up sometimes again if we need to kind of get that more physicality of moving around so it's very important for the writers to make sure they've put in the scripts if it's going to be outside uh, what kind of sound effects are going to be going on in the background if they know um or maybe pass it to your sound engineer or sound designer before you send it to the actors so they can have some input and say, well, if this is all going to be outside, then maybe you should, if you're not going to be there, for example, say, oh, they're going to need to pitch it up a bit. They're going to need to be not shouting, but speaking up a bit. Also, if it's nighttime and you're indoors, people speak slightly quieter at nighttime. There's less kind of background noise and people are a little more self-conscious. So they tend to speak a bit quieter, especially, uh, Again, speaking louder outdoors, but not so loud if it's nighttime. The example of uh, someone being out of breath is a good one. Generally, if someone, if the character does need to be out of breath, we will have them either jog on the spot or uh, do some heavy breathing, some like, <sighs> before they start the line, or hold their breath or something, so they go, oh, goodness me. Oh, that was, that was a lot of work. Um, I mean, that's a big thing about acting, really. Um, I think that should be, it depends how experienced your actors are. I think that is a bit of kind of method acting. A lot of actors will just do that naturally. If they need to sound out of breath, they'll do that. Uh, or they might be good enough at acting that they don't need to. They might just be able to, you know, turn that on. Um, in which case, uh, good for them. You know, they've saved your time. And uh, I have actually, we have once or twice had, I think I I was in a scene where I needed to be crushed under a load of fallen debris. So uh, I actually did lay down to do it. I didn't quite like come myself in debris, but um, <laughs> I did... Uh, get down to kind of really emphasize that that sound where do you stand on the use of music during and within scenes is this a distraction from the dialogue or can it enhance and maintain mood or atmosphere being a musician myself, I tend to really love putting a lot of music into my shows. I record the majority of the music on Chronosphere Fiction myself and often find myself taking music out of scenes when I listen back to it and realize, no, this shouldn't have music here. Of course, it also depends on how much time I have available to me versus how quickly I want to get an episode done. In the end, you just got to feel it. If you're listening to it and you feel like there should be music there, put music there. I'd say if the music is distracting from the dialogue, then it's not the right music. But done right, obviously, obviously music can 
enhanced the storytelling massively. Um, but then that said, my director's early doors on Red Valley said they didn't want any underscoring, just interstitial music, because we were going with a general, you know, a lot of stuff was on tapes and that sort of thing. Uh, but who knows, maybe with future series, I might get to do some underscoring. That'd be fun. Using music within a scene, I think is a perfectly valid thing to do. You can use it to create atmosphere. You don't want the music to be too busy. You don't want it to be music with lyrics that will distract the listener. Um, but it's perfectly okay that if they're in a cafe or restaurant or whatever, that music can be playing right in the background. So you can just about hear it. Generally, if it's music that you're choosing to add to create atmosphere, you want it to be down the mix. And you want the music that you use to not be in the same frequency as the voices of the actors. So things that work really well for creating tension are low rumbly sounds and the other range, uh, the higher crystalline sounds that are above the register of the human voice. I use diegetic music for setting scenes and showing people where they are. I don't really use non-diegetic music. Um, I do sometimes. I have done in the past. Uh, there's an episode of Space Junk Microbytes where Fringo is about to go on a mission and I scored that episode and there is music throughout. He's not hearing that music. Maybe he's hearing it in his head. It's there for the audience. It's it's film score, essentially. It's a big commitment. It's a very big commitment to have uh, non-diegetic music because you kind of have to stick with it. Like Having it there and then it going away can be quite difficult because it's like finding the right out point. And yeah, if you only do it very occasionally, that that can possibly seem kind of strange. Because my boots kept sinking down into the wet grass and dirt that was giving beneath us. It pained my ankles to keep a quick pace and lift my feet out of the little holes they were sinking into. Finally, I reached Rita's porch. Come on inside, officer. Thank you, ma'am. Just my luck. The thought shot through my head about 60 times that day and few more strongly than in that moment. Cold and tired and trying to run. It's awful out there. Got that right. Where should drama podcasters on a budget get their sound effects? And should they consider making their own? Making your own is obviously free once you've got yourself a mic. Um, I just got myself a second-hand Rode IXY for an old phone, uh, so I could use that as a field recorder. Um, but then that said, some of the sounds were even done just on a voice memo with the phone mic. Um, if you're mixing it into something where there's a lot going on, but you just need a specific layer, um, even just a voice memo on the phone mic can sound fine. But then that said, I'm also lazy. So a lot of the time I got stuff from the internet. Um, I signed up to Zapsplat for £3 a month because it had a few useful things I found on there. Uh, but generally, freesound.org is absolutely brilliant. Um, loads of Creative Commons stuff there to use totally for free. Wherever and whenever possible, try to make your own sound effects. It is fun. It is a blast. I really enjoy it. I love finding all the little tools and pieces of junk and whatever I can pull together to make noises and trying different things and looking for ideas from other sound designers on YouTube or whatever. If you think you have the time to do it, do it. Somebody's getting beat up. Throw some pillows on the couch. Put a leather jacket on top of those pillows and hit it with a baseball bat. Put wet towels in a big bucket or a tray and walk on them and stomp on them. On the other side of the coin, look for every bit of free sound effects packages you can get and get them and create a library on your hard drive somewhere where you can quickly look for sound effects to import into your project. 
also include the sound effects you've made yourself in this library, you know, and label them and categorize them in folders. And then don't forget that you can take the sound effects you have and mess with them. You can use plugins to speed them up, slow them down, change the pitch, add reverb, add delay, play them back through a guitar amplifier in your bathroom. Anything you can to make one sound effect into more sound effects. I think making your own sound effects is a, is very fun. Uh, it's also very time consuming. Um and quite difficult to do well. I tend to use mostly, I don't know, maybe maybe 60% 60% sound effects that I've found online, uh, 40% that I made myself, maybe 30% that I made myself. If it's something like someone sipping from a cup, it's very easy just to get them to sip from a cup, and that's going to save you a lot of time trying to find a realistic sounding sound effect, um, and it's free. Uh, there are lots of resources online like free sound and sound bible lots of sounds like that where you can get free sound effects and there's lots of them out there there are also subscription services i use soundly which is really really good but it is a bit pricey it costs i think 15 15 pounds a month or something wait did, do all these games come with it um yeah i think so <laughs> i have to have it It would have been great to see your dad after all these years. He, he would never remember me, but I never forgot him. He was a, he was a wise dude. <laughs> Do not let him hear you say that. I'd never hear the end of it. Um, cash or card? Uh, card. Sure, go ahead. Oh. What? You're Warren Godby. Uh, yeah, you... You read that off my cards. You, you must have good eyes. You're William Godby's son. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, can I get a bag for this? What's going on? I am going to have to ask you to leave. Finally, give us your one golden rule of sound design for audio drama. I've already said it. Have fun and keep doing it. Make sure you like what you hear. And keep your cosmos clean. Thank you so much to the wonderful people at Alternative Stories and Fake Realities for involving me in this project. I've had a wonderful time answering your questions, and I hope I helped somebody out there with something. My golden rule is always story comes first. Your job is to help tell the story, not show off how cool and clever all your sounds are. Just clarity. Just always, always, always prioritize clarity of dialogue over everything else you do because if you don't get that then you won't engage listeners the trick is going to be taking that very clear but quite dead sound that that dialogue and making it sound like the characters are where they're supposed to be but never prioritize that sense of place over the clarity of the dialogue i'd probably say one of the things i've already said like um Make sure to cut down all the gaps if they don't need to be there. <laughs> do people actually speak like that? Slash, do things actually sound like that? I think that's a good golden rule, is take a step back, listen to it in a different room, uh, listen to it on different speakers, listen to it on different headphones, um, you know, bounce, bounce off a copy, export a copy, listen to it in, on your phone or on your TV or in your car, wherever you listen to podcasts, and think, do people sound like this? Is this a thing people actually do? Do people actually speak like this? 
because that can answer a lot of questions. I do that a lot sometimes. I go away, I have a break, give my ears a rest, then I come back and think, people don't speak like that. People speak much faster than that. They don't leave those gaps. Or maybe I've overdone it a bit. Maybe I've tightened it up a bit too much. Maybe that does need a little bit of room to breathe. Also, why is that sound effect so loud? Those things aren't that loud, really. I'll turn that down. So yeah, I guess if I had to have a golden rule, it would be, does it actually sound like that? <laughs> I hope that helps. Thank you very much for having me on the show. On to music for audio drama productions. Let's start by thinking about the main theme for an audio drama. What should a drama podcaster aim for in the main theme for her or his show? John Bartman. The introduction music for a podcast can very quickly announce uh, what the show is about and let the listener know upfront if uh, it's for them. With regards to fictional podcasts, I am of the opinion that it's even more important. The music plays a more important role in fictional podcasts because we don't have picture to tell these stories. So an, an audio drama or an audio fiction listener is far more critical over the sounds that are going on. The dialogue, the delivery, the sound effects and the music all have to be uh, just a little bit sharper, if you ask me, than um, entertainment with a screen. If you're actually paying someone to write you a theme... Um, it can be a good idea to let them listen to a bit of your show so that they can get that feeling and flavour in their head before they, um, before they start to compose the piece of music. drama creator were looking to compose their own theme, are there any pieces of advice you would offer? I feel that a podcaster should aim for something that very clearly identifies what the show is about. That way you don't waste anybody's time and it's also a good way of finding your audience. You know, those initial few notes, the first thing that you hear might be a beautiful fantasy sort of themed flute, like a wooden flute, um, or it might be, you know, something that's clearly science fiction or cyberpunk one show that does this really well is a new one called heroics which is this hilarious superhero super anti-hero comedy uh a chap called eric jorgensen did the music um and from the very very beginning it's all that da, 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 it's all you can just hear that we're now in superhero territory and it's it totally announces what the show is about and something fresh uh put your personality into it and sh- you know If the box is shaped a certain way, try and fit yourself into that box, but make sure it's you in the box, if that makes sense. Uh, Imbue your own personality into it as much as you can. Have reasons for the choices you make as a composer. Have some intentionality behind the choices you make as a composer. What are the rules for creating incidental music within a podcast? One good piece of advice for anyone who's, you know, wanting to compose music for audio drama is uh, to remember that, you know, you shouldn't get in the way of the dialogue. I think that simplicity is um, is a really underrated thing. 
So um, if you know a couple of chords, you could play around just with a alternating um, piece between those two chords. Well, atmospheric music. I've actually just finished putting out an album of 100 of these drone sounds using this cool software instrument called um, Straylight. But what I can say about atmospheric music is there's like there's almost no bottom rung for how subtle you can be. When I listen to TV and I listen to reference shows and I pay attention to what's going on with established composers, I'm always blown away at how much restraint they practice. Um, they're able to somehow just occupy this kind of less than grassroots level of audio in the mix. And they've left so much space for you know dialogue, sound effects. My tip for someone wanting to create atmosphere with, within their audio drama is that you can do more than you think you can if you're not a musical person. There are all sorts of free software um, packages out there that you can play around with. If you're a Mac user and you've got access to GarageBand, that is literally everything you need to create all the incidental music for your, for your podcast. Um, so have a look at what you've got have a look at what's out there for free and experiment a bit out there to help audio drama creators with limited music experience make music and soundscapes for their podcasts? Are there tools? Boy, are there tools. There are tools for everything nowadays. There's no shortage of content or software to help you get where you want to go. Motivation is the challenge, you know. Get on YouTube, research the stuff, download and listen to what other people are doing. Um, There's really no other way than to just climb the hill. You can uh, try, take shortcuts, you can try and you know, uh, sign up for this guy's mailing list or listen to this guy's podcast and hope that that makes you better. But it's like Seth Godin says, if you want to learn to ride a bike, don't watch a video about it. Um, So anyone with limited music experience who wants to get into music and soundscapes, I don't think there's a roadmap. I don't think there's going to be anyone to hold your hand. Just a whole lot of information and a whole lot of people who've learned a whole lot about it that are competing for uh, your attention in giving you the best advice people like me so uh, look around and uh, ask questions and get in touch with people if you're serious about it it is definitely going to happen because we we live in this age where it's all available to us the small creators oh yes and little plug obviously just get in touch with me i'm super generous for audio drama i don't you know i don't think of audio drama as a money a money making thing so i make a lot of stuff available to people even if it's got a price tag on it on my site so mail me you'll get something out of me because I want to help. Going back to um, what I said, if, you, if you're if you a Mac user and you've got access to GarageBand, um, you also have something there um, within GarageBand called musical typing. So what it will do, it, turn, it will turn your keyboard from your laptop or, or desktop computer into a musical keyboard. So you get a visual representation of that and you use the letter keys... Um, to play to play your tune or or melody or or drone whatever you want to do um, so you don't even need a keyboard a music keyboard to do this so there's plenty that you can do um, on your own using a tool like GarageBand. 
And the place I would suggest you start within GarageBand are some of the synthesizer sounds. And specifically, look at the ones called pads. So they're the, um, the lighter sounds. Um, in music, you'd use them in the background to, to pad out a piece of music, I guess. So they're drifty, washy sort of sounds that would sit in the background on a piece of music. But they work brilliantly as atmosphere sounds in, um, in a piece of audio drama. And the other place within um, synthesizers uh, in GarageBand to look is that there's actually a set of um, synthesizer sounds called soundscapes. They are just perfect for creating atmosphere within a drama. And you can experiment with all of them. Each of them has got multiple different variations of the sound. Um, and just by playing with them, using the keyboard of your laptop, you will actually create some really interesting sounds that um, that you can use within your drama. And in alternative stories, we, we use those all the time. What are the differences and similarities between creating music for audio drama and creating it for visual mediums such as TV, film, or theater? The clarity of the dialogue has to be... Uh, the priority in audio drama. So you probably would typically have your music a notch or two lower than you might on a TV or, or movie. I think also the ability that we, the innate ability we have to to lip read um, characters for TV and movies means that music can be louder in those uh, mediums. Clearly we don't have that because we can't see the characters within audio drama. So we have to um, have to just drop the volume of the music a bit. But the music itself um, can be very, very similar in style. Well, you know, if we're talking about the difference between audio drama and let's call it drama or theatre, anything with a screen or a visual component, uh, these are our two categories. If we're talking about the differences between these two categories... Uh, then yes, the role of music, you know, it, it's always played the same role. In fact, even uh, if you look back through time, music has always been composed for, as an accompaniment to something else. At least all the music that we know about. Folk music uh, was a, an accompaniment to dancing. Um, Mozart and all of the, the great composers all wrote this stuff for opera and for theatre. And now we've got uh, blockbuster Hollywood. And these are the driving forces behind music composition. They always are. It's a real challenge, actually, to get the levels exactly right and to make sure that, yes, if you're going to be repeating you know, a passage of music for two or three minutes uh, under some dialogue, you have to introduce variation. This happens all the time. I listen to new audio dramas, and after two or three minutes, um, I can't focus on the dialogue because I'm just anticipating the start of that loop again. Man, if you just if you just ask someone to write a second or a third variation on the theme or just something to break it up, it would have held my attention a lot more. If you if you aren't sensitive to the musical delivery of uh, a piece of work, get in touch with someone who is, who can help you avoid these pitfalls, uh, but you just need help. And there are tons of music uh, composers out there who are just itching to get their name in the credits. Uh, you, can really, you can really count on them. You don't have to ask them to write anything. You can ask them to just consult on the music. 
If you want to listen to some music to give you some idea of what good sounds like in terms of creating soundscape music or soundtrack music, I would say check out some of the work that Nick Cave and Warren Ellis have done. Uh, They've created soundtracks for a number of movies. Obviously, they play as part of the band Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but their movie soundtrack work is really interesting. I'd particularly say have a listen to the soundtrack for a film called Wind River, which I think is on Netflix, and listen to the the way they've used instruments to suggest the atmosphere of that snowy landscape and the wind blowing down a valley. Um, It's so evocative of the film. Quite often when you come out of a film, it's the music that can be memorable and and you hear that music and you're back in that place watching that film and I've always found that Nick Cave's music does that for me very very simple often just played on a violin and a piano you know even with things like wind chimes which can be really really evocative but um, yeah listen to some of their stuff I think it's really really excellent I've actually written a piece on um, the, what I consider the best music in audio drama today it's that specific um, and I'll just I mean the the best podcasts uh fiction podcasts that that from a musical perspective in my opinion are uh what's the frequency uh bronzeville wolverine the long night star cold mockery manor i've been in touch with um you know almost all of those creators just to say thank you for putting in the extra work um what's the frequency top of the list you should hear the sound effects and the music that go into this piece I've got a whole long list of, of people like this, of, of productions like this that are clearly going above and beyond. They're not just, you know, uh, imitating what everyone else is doing. Um, so, yes, yeah, I'm happy to share that. <laughs> this is the thing. I get really excited when people ask me about audio drama and music. It's an exciting time for audio drama. Um, and working together is how we're going to make it, you know, much better. Working together and relying on each other. We would like to extend our thanks and huge gratitude to all our guests for taking part in this special edition. Headley Knights, Daniel French, John Bartman, Richard Campbell, and Chris Gregory. Please check out their podcast to learn more about their work. You heard clips from the following podcasts in this edition. We Fix Space Junk, written by Beth Crane and with sound design by Headley Knights. Chronosphere Fiction, with sound design by Daniel French. Red Valley, with sound design and music by Richard Campbell. Alternative Stories and Fake Realities, with sound design and music by Chris Gregory. Full credits for these clips will be provided in our show notes. All clips are used with the permission of the guests and may not be reproduced without their consent. We'll also link you to our guests' social media, websites, and podcasts in our notes. Thank you for listening to Alternative Stories and Fake Realities Podcast. The presenter in today's edition has been me, Kelly Winkler, and our sound design and music special edition has been an Alternative Stories 2020 production for the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities Podcast.
the Alternative Stories and Fake Realities podcast. Audio drama, poetry, fiction.